uh, for us. Uh, a few months ago, we had the opportunity as, as we were raising uh, some some resources for widows' harvest for their pantry. We had the opportunity. We've had the opportunity to work with them a few times now, and uh, so a few months ago, we had the opportunity to go and work. And many of you were there. Uh, you got to scrape and paint and uh, put primer up and do lots of things um, for a very special lady's house. Uh, her name is Jadu Bursing. Did I did I say that right? Praise the Lord, because I don't know how I got that out. But uh, Miss Miss Bursing's with us today. And she wanted to uh, just bless us with a song. And uh, if you have not met her, then you need to do that before you leave. Don't just meet her, give her a hug. I, I think, is that okay? Okay. Uh, she'll give you a hug. So um, but just a wonderful lady. And Miss Bursing, if you'd like to come up, and we would love for you to sing and share whatever you, you would like. Would you, would you rather be down here or up on, top, on the stage? All right. You're very short, yes. All right, come right over here. Yeah, I, yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. I think. There we go. Well, you know what? I was hoping and wanting to come and meet you beautiful people. I said beautiful because... When we have his love in our hearts, when we have what he gives to us, he makes us beautiful. You know what? This is all he's trying to do with each one of us, to make us look like the angels in heaven. And so all the thou shall not kill and thou shall not steal, it just boils up. Stay away from the wicked, the nasty, the bad, and come where it's beautiful. Amen? So I'm going to sing a song here for you, face to face. Face to face with Christ, my Savior. Face to face, what will it be when in rapture I be? Beep! 
All right. If you're in Kidmo, you're dismissed. You can head on back in Kidmo Leaders. If you're a guest, you have a second through fifth grader. They're more than welcome to follow uh, the chorus of kids. Uh, They've got their own time of games, small groups, and teaching, and uh, they just have a great time together. Uh, it's just so good to be with you. I'm, thank you again, Miss Bursing. Just beautiful song, and thank you for being here with us. Thank you for letting us come to your home and just sharing with you. And uh, and, I'm, and I'm glad we didn't mess anything up. Uh, oh, it, it looks beautiful. So we're so thankful to be a part of that. And, and thank you for everyone here. Uh, you know, one of the greatest gifts God gives us is the opportunity to give gifts to others as well. And uh, it's one of the ways we recognize our thankfulness for what we've received is the opportunity to give to others. And so there's many ways we do that. Uh, for, for some of you serving at VBS with all of our kids, that was a great commitment for you to come from work for four days straight to do that. Uh, for some of you, as getting your kids here. For others, it was the decorating and things like that. We're so thankful. Thankful for those of you who have chosen to participate in, in helping to stock the pantry. Most of us need anything, we run out and get it. And so we're just thankful for those of you that are helping, and I hope that we all will. And uh, I think we could totally fill that van. Uh, so, so continue to give there. Uh, we continue to see ways that people give. Uh, we're just thankful for the Murphys for spending their time putting together opportunities for us to help uh, people go to Centrifuge. So if you haven't picked up your keychain for a dollar, then you can do that. I heard they made a Kentucky one. I'm not, I'm not sure that was a good use of beads, but, um, best beads ever. (laughs) So, uh, thank you guys for, for giving of yourselves for that. And just the ways that we see over and over, it's one of the ways we just demonstrate we're thankful for what God has given us. We can give of ourselves to others. And so we're, we're truly thankful for that. Um, I want to talk to you today. We're going to be continuing our, our series on, on God Never Said That. Uh, so we're in, this is week three. Uh, we, we've So far, we've covered the ideas that we have perpetuated as a church, as a culture, as a people, that uh, God intends for you to be happy. And what we have looked at is not that God wants you to be sad, But the idea of happiness in the world was never promised to us by God. The pursuit of happiness as we read it in our Declaration of Independence is not what God anticipates for his people. There's something greater. There's something more rather than a fleeting momentary feeling based on your circumstances. Last week we looked at uh, for Father's Day, Father Knows Best. And the truth is none of us know best. As much as I like to think I know best, and I can argue I know best, I don't know best, but my Heavenly Father does. And we have an opportunity to go to Him, for Him to give us wisdom, and He has been so gracious and graceful to us in that giving us an opportunity to be redeemed and to know Him. Today, I want to talk to you about another aspect of teaching that comes out of the church eventually. And, and, uh, a lot of Christians will say this. I don't know how many times it's been said to me. If, if you have ever been at a point in your life that you are feeling overwhelmed and stressed, you've probably had somebody, some well-meaning person come to you and say something to the, the effect of God will never give you more than you can handle. Has anyone ever heard that? Okay. I'm not going to ask how many of you have said that. Because we all probably at some point have communicated that in some way. God's not going to give you more than you can handle. The, the problem is, is the scriptures don't bear that out. The problem is that the scriptures don't teach that that's the way God actually interacts 
with people in the world. And it may be that some of us who are feeling overwhelmed or overstressed and are feeling very unspiritual because of it, what if, what if God intends for you to be that right now? (laughs) What if God wants you to be overwhelmed right now? What if God intends to give you more than you can handle right now and you are squarely in his will if that's how you feel? Because the truth is the scripture really doesn't address a lot of the lifestyles that we lead, the busyness that we have. Some of that's our fault. Some of that, quite honestly, is God's fault because he wants us at times be overwhelmed. Now, some of you are already checking out and you're thinking, I don't really want this sermon. This is, this goes against what I believe. This is not what I want to hear. So I'm going to just ask you to bear with me. We're going to look at several examples and we're going to address the question. So if this is true, why is it true? And for what purpose does God want us to be overwhelmed? As I look at our lives, I look at your life and my life, we are incredibly busy. Is anybody else? Does anybody else already have plans for the rest of the day? Probably for the ne- for the rest of the week. <laughs> you know, it, it, it happens. No, not me. I'll be reading my Bible and uh, having a quiet time. That's what I'm doing this week. I don't know about everybody else, but probably most of us already have our week planned out. When Deidre and I get together on Sunday night, we get together to plan out our week and we look at the schedule and we almost always do it with dread. Because we have to figure out how to get everybody where they've got to go and where we've got to go and do that all in a very short amount of time all over the city. And so whenever we do that, and and usually we have to do it daily because that's kind of how we operate. We talk about tomorrow, today. And when we get together, it's not a fun experience. You don't say, well, can can we sit down and talk about the schedule? No. No. I don't, I don't want to think about the schedule. I don't want to talk about the schedule. I know the schedule's not going to work. Let's just, let's just pretend we don't have anything we have to do. Let's just not actually have to feel stressed over this. But that doesn't work. And we may do that occasionally and it always falls apart. So where do we get this idea that if I'm spiritual, if I'm following God, I won't struggle. I won't be overwhelmed. I won't feel like a wave is about to crash over me. Well, we get that from 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And I just want to look at verse 13 now. We're going to look at the rest of the passage in context, which usually messes up our Facebook theology once we start looking at context. But 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Now, that is a great verse. Highly applicable. It is full of hope, full of grace, and full of the direction of God for our lives. But yet, it doesn't say what we often attribute to it. We're going to come back and look at that in a little bit. I know that we are busier than ever. Whenever we sit down to plan meetings out, there's a, there's a, a, a groan amongst people because nobody has time for meetings anymore. In fact, you can read any number of leadership books that will say meetings are worthless. You shouldn't even meet anymore. 
You should just let people do their thing. The only problem is when people do their thing, nobody knows what anybody else is doing. And so then we'll then have a leadership book that says you've got to have more meetings. That's just kind of the way the publishing world works. But we're busier. We get overwhelmed. Depression is an all-time high. People feel like they have no direction, no purpose for their lives. And they feel like they just have to put one foot in front of the other. And it's not a very fun existence, is it? To feel overwhelmed is to feel like a wave is crashing over you and you can't breathe. At times to feel overwhelmed is to want to give up, to get out, to just throw it all away. And so it makes sense that we would come up with some kind of pseudo-theology that says God doesn't want that because something about it doesn't feel right. And I'll agree there's something about that that is not right. But what we unintentionally do when we begin to utter the words, God will not give you more than you can handle, is we begin to fall back into what we said a couple of weeks ago, God wants you to be happy. God doesn't want you to feel overwhelmed. God wants you just to feel carefree. God doesn't want you to worry. God just wants you to go through life singing a tune, skipping and jumping. And yet when we look at any true follower of Christ in Scripture, we don't see that as their reality. But somehow, somehow we've embraced that that's what God wants for us now, here, at this time, and in this place. We often feel overwhelmed and like we can't make it. One of the, our favorite phrases is for someone when you, you come out and you finally share, I, I can't keep doing this. You, you'll get that famous quote that says, I'm going to pray for you. And while prayer is one of the most powerful things we can do, it often is cover for you're on your own. <laughs> Good luck. And we hear some of these pithy, quick phrases often followed up by, well, you know, God won't give you more than you can handle. And it just sends us further into the doldrums, believing that we have failed on so many levels. Not only have we allowed ourselves to get in this position, but we've turned our back on what God wants for us because God would never want us to be over our heads. And so it leads to just more guilt and more frustration. We joke uh, sometimes, I don't know, pastors joke about, I don't think anybody else does, but pastors do, so we have bad jokes. We joke about when something goes bad, well, there's sin in your life. Has anybody ever said that to you? If you've known me for very long, I've probably said it to you at some point. Is there sin in your life? It's a joke, but something in us feels like if we're struggling, there must be sin and God must be unhappy with us. If I'm struggling to make it, that must be because of sin. God must be unhappy with me, but I don't know how to get out of it. What I believe is that one of the most misunderstood attributes of God is that he wants you to live life carefree. We read passages saying, don't worry, look at the lilies of the field. We embrace the idea that God wants us to live carefree, yet Jesus did not live life carefree. The apostles did not live life carefree. Early believers didn't live life carefree. Is it any wonder that you are not going to live your life carefree 
no matter how closely you walk with Jesus. We are going to care. We will not be free of that. Here's what I want to do before. There's a couple of passages I really want us to dig into where I think tell us exactly what God's heart is in this. But for those of you who are still on the fence and you're feeling like, you know, I just, I feel like a failure because I have all these problems and I have all these issues and I just don't feel like I can make it. Let me just, let's just take a little inventory of famous people in scripture and things that they said. All right. Let's start with Moses. Exodus four, verse 10. It says, but Moses said to the Lord, this is the point that, that God is saying to Moses, Moses, I have a task for you. I have a calling for you. I have something for you. Moses said to the Lord, oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. He didn't say it that way, but that's how I read. You know, I do that sometimes. Oh, my Lord. That just sounds better. I am not eloquent either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. In other words, I've not gotten better. I'm just as bad as I was before you asked me to do this. But I am slow of speech and of tongue. Then the Lord said to him, who has made man's mouth? Who makes him mute or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now, therefore, go and I will be your mouth and teach you what you shall speak. But he said, oh, my Lord, please send someone else. It's Moses overwhelmed at the task God gave him. Moses, who we have movies about, multiple movies about. He's one of the greatest leaders of all time. Saying, I, I can't, I can't, it's just too much. I can't do this. See, somewhere in the back of our mind, we think that Moses was like, yeah, God, let's do it. I'm ready. Come on, let's go. But that's not who he was. All right, so there's one example about David. Of course, David, you know, he's the big failure. But yet, the man after God's own heart. Psalm 38 says this, for my iniquities have gone over my head. Anybody else? Is this ringing a bell? Have gone over my head like a heavy burden. They are too heavy for me. My wounds stink and fester because of my foolishness. I am utterly bowed down and and prostrate all the day I go about mourning. For my sides are filled with burning and there is no soundness in my flesh. I am feeble and crushed. I groan because of the tumult of my heart. What if... David being a man after God's own heart wasn't about David's ability to be a lion. But it was this. David was a man after God's own heart for the very heart that would write this. We often think of David and all of his great conquests and great warrior, soldier, captain, leader. I mean, he was a pretty incredible guy. There weren't many people that could stand up to David. But what if those aren't the things that make him special to God? What if the very things that we feel unspiritual for are the things that God is actually celebrating in our lives? Realize I'm creating somewhat of a quicksand for some of our thinking kind of takes our feet out from under us when we begin to look at things in an area of weakness, not of strength. What if we go on to the big one and we go on to Jesus? We've used this time and time again because I just think it's so important for us to understand where we fit in God's plan. Mark 14, 
they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful even to death. Not a good leadership tactic. All right, guys. You, you're leaving everything to come with me. And man, we are, we are in big trouble. I am so sorrowful. That's not the inspiration we're looking for, right? And good leadership, it's a, a good leader stands up and he's like, we're going for it. We can do it. This is going to be awesome. We're going, we're going to charge hell with water pistols. We're going to do it. That's what good leadership is. And yet Jesus... Jesus isn't saying that. My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and he prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. And we come to that statement that shows us how we act in the midst of overwhelming struggles. Yet not what I will but what you will. As we look through the primary characters of Scripture, God consistently gives overwhelming burdens to those whom he loves. Let that that sink in. Consistently, we see over and over again, God consistently gives overwhelming burdens to those whom he loves. Does that change the way we view that God will never give us anything more than we can handle? That God has done that with incredible people of faith. People who have not just done great things in the world, but their stories have been told for thousands of years. What if God is giving you something overwhelming right now because of his immense love for you? Not his disappointment in you. See, there are some things in our lives that we truly pull on ourselves. We overcommit. We try to do too much. We get this big idea that we're going to be all things to all people, and it comes crashing down. I've seen it happen in ministry over and over again. Overcommit. I get overwhelmed, and I'm out because I just can't handle it anymore. There are times that we pull too much on ourselves. There are times that I have enough people ask me to do something, and because I'm unwilling to say no, I say yes until I'm no good at any of them, and I hate all of them. That's on me. I do that. You do that. We do that. But there's also a level of burden that may be intentional for what God wants for you in your life at this moment, and there's a purpose for it. See, with Jesus, there was a purpose for this overwhelming burden. Well, of course he's Jesus. We don't have to carry that burden. Moses had an overwhelming burden. David had an overwhelming burden. Well, look through the the, the main characters that you'll remember in, in Scripture. Jonah had an overwhelming burden. Noah had an overwhelming burden. Solomon had an overwhelming burden. Esther had an overwhelming burden burden over and over again we see these incredible people of faith with overwhelming burdens not sure they can make it shadrach meshach abednego overwhelming burdens joseph 
betrayed by his brothers, overwhelming burdens, and yet great people of faith. Yet in our culture, in this time, we have embraced the idea God will never give you a burden that you can't handle and then some. But that doesn't flesh out anywhere else in the scripture. Now, where is this all leading? Hey, guess what? You are going to be miserable your whole life. Praise the Lord. See, that's where some of you already think we're going. You're all, I can just see your shoulders dipping. Oh, oh, what have I done? Why am I here? I got to get out of here. Absolutely not. That is not the truth. God's desire is not for us to live lives of misery, to live lives of giving up, to live lives of inadequacy, of, to live lives where we sit here and believe that we are incapable of anything. That has never been God's intent for us. So what is it? What's the purpose? What do we learn from this? How do we grow from this? What do we take from this? Well, let's look at that verse in context. See, context is the thing that messes up all our, our quippy theology. We will hear something and we will put it out there without reading it, without researching it, without finding out if it's true. We do that. We've been doing that with the Bible ever since that it was in written form. So let's look at it in context. What is being said when God says there'll be no temptation that you can't handle? So we're going to be back 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Let's go all the way back to verse 1 of that chapter. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers... That our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. They experienced incredible works of God. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food. And all drank the same spiritual drink. For they drank, drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, if you remember the story, they're going, they have left Egypt. They have gone through the sea. They have been able to follow a cloud. God has provided manna every morning for them to eat. And by evening, it was all gone. It was spoiled or it was eaten. But the next morning, it was there. God showed them his favor and his faithfulness day in and day out for years. They experienced miraculous works and signs from God, so miraculous that no one should have forgotten those things. And yet we know the story, many of them did. As Moses went up to get the Ten Commandments, they overthrew his leadership. They said, we've got to get back to worshiping the things that we know. And they built this huge idol which Moses came back down, was angry, broke the first 10 commandments over, went back up, talked to God again, and he got another set. In all that God had done, they had forgotten his faithfulness and the miraculous works of his hands. Verse 6 says, Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge sexual immorality as some of them did. 
and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Verse 12, this is where we get into the meat of this. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, if you ever read a verse and the next word is therefore, you need to keep going. Don't stop. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, what we have done is we have taken this instruction for idolatry. And uh, certainly, idolatry can be expanded to many things. can be expanded to what we watch, what we read, what we eat, how we spend our time. There are a lot of things that we can make into an idol. But he's not saying that for the good Christian, you will never sin ever again. That you'll be able to walk so closely to God that you never have to worry about falling away in sin. It it is going to happen for you. Now, for some of us, our busyness is sin. We have taken it on ourselves. And whether it's because we're afraid to be still and quiet, there, there are lots of reasons that we make ourselves busy. But to read this and believe that God is saying you will never feel overwhelmed if you're walking with him is simply not true. God has given us ample evidence to trust him that he's real, that he's true, and that these other idols are not. And so verse 13 is talking about a specific temptation, not any temptation that could ever come around but we have taken this because we have become a people who look for quick bites of information rather than understanding the whole and we have totally misrepresented what god is saying and what often happens when we do this is what god has meant for our good we begin to believe is for our downfall context always gives us a better picture of what God is saying. Followers of Jesus, as we read this passage, do not have to question whether God is real. The followers of Jesus will be given more than they can handle consistently. So if that's where you're living, guess what? That's where God wants you. Instead of us trying our hardest to get out of it, what if... God has better plans for you. I don't know. So why does God give you more than you can handle? I'll tell you, I don't like it. Flat out. I like stuff I can handle. I like being able to go through my day and have margin at the end of the day for the things that I like to do. I like to be able to rest and relax and to feel good about the world. And I like to watch the butterflies fly. Not really, but you know what I'm saying. Watch the deer prance through the meadows. I like that stuff. Doesn't ever happen. I did see a deer yesterday. 
on my way to where I was going because something I had to do. I didn't stop and get to look. I like being able to handle life. I like being in control of life. I like feeling like I can do this. And I hate feeling like I can't do this. Yet I feel that way regularly. I feel that way as a dad. I feel that way as a husband. I feel that way as a pastor. I feel that way in every area of my life. God, are you kidding me? This is not possible. And I know a lot of people. They can't do it either. What's up with this? So why does God give you more than you can handle? Is it because God loves for us to be unhappy? Well, that's not the God that we read about in Scripture either. God of love and of mercy, of grace. A God who supports and encourages, who build up, who has a plan for all eternity for us. A God who is there without condemnation for those who love Him, with a plan and a purpose for their life. A God who is at work walking with Him day by day. That same God who is sitting there knocking, waiting for us to open the door so He can come in and eat with us. God is a God of beauty, as Ms. Bursing has said. And he has invited us into an existence of beauty. For many of us, we struggle to understand feeling weak. Because let's be honest, feeling overwhelmed is synonymous with feeling weak. We hate to feel weak. I'm not going to ignore that there are some people who celebrate their weakness. We've kind of come full circle. I don't know if it's full circle or not, but when I was growing up, it was the underdog. It was the beat all odds no matter what. And now it's, oh, poor me. There are those that celebrate weakness. I don't get it. I don't understand it. Most people don't like to feel weak. So why does God give you more than you can handle? Why would he push us to a place of weakness? I think I'm going to give you four reasons. There's more, but four is all I got time for. Number one is to strengthen your faith and make you whole. See, good times don't typically strengthen faith and make you whole. Faithfulness in bad times often do that. Good times, we don't think about these things. We're not worried about these things. Bad times, we're thinking about these things. We're worried about these things. We read this a couple of weeks ago. James 1, count it all joy when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Remember, perfect does not mean without fault. Perfect means whole. I would rather be overwhelmed and whole than stress-free and fractured. That's what God offers us. These, tri- these trials, these struggles, they are to take our eyes off of the world and the way that it works and, and tune us to the world in which he works. It's the difference between this natural world in which we live and the supernatural in which God lives. He's invited us into that world and it shames this world. How wonderful it is. As I think through God, I, you know, I'm a guy. I struggle with not wanting to feel weak more than most people. Why is that? Why is that a good thing? 
And I always come back to the gospel. Because at the very root of the gospel is submission and humility. God, I can't do this. I need a Savior. God, I am sinful. I have done what's right in my eyes, not what's right in your eyes. Repentance at its very core is submission and humility. And so weakness pushes us to a place where it is fertile to know and accept the gospel. Strength allows us to ignore it. I can do it on my own. I'm okay. I'm good. I got this covered. I can make this happen. I, I've got my life planned out. God, you know what? You want to show up fine. If you don't show up fine, I've got this handled. There's no follower of Jesus who says that. There are lots of church people who say that. No follower of Jesus says that because a follower of Jesus has found the place where they have to submit and be humble and operate out of weakness because that's where we're made whole. Wholeness is better than fractured. Second thing, why does God give us more than we can handle? I'll tell you this as a fact, and I've had many conversations with many of you, and this is very much why God has put some overwhelming circumstances in your life. Is sometimes it's to encourage you to move. You know, I, I was uh, having breakfast with Brian uh, the other day. We were talking about kind of where Journey came from. Uh, you know, I never wanted to start a church. Why would you start a church when there's a perfectly good church with people financially supporting it that can, can pay your salary? Why would you go start a church where there's no money, you know, and you can't live? Why would you do that? That was my thought. I never wanted to do that. Of course, before that, and I began thinking maybe I should go into ministry. I thought the very same thing. Why would you go into ministry? You can't, you can't make a living in ministry. Why would you do that? I can know where I'm going. You can't live in a penthouse and do ministry. I mean, I, I, actually, there are some that do that, but it's still not possible to live in a... Anyways, okay. Another sermon. But yet there are times when you will have overwhelming things come into your life and God is just trying to open a door that you would, you would it's with all your might, hold shut to tell you, I want you to move. I'm not saying you got to move across the country or move across the world or you got to quit your job. God has us desiring us to move in many different ways as we talked about in VBS a couple of weeks ago. God wants us to move. Sometimes he wants us to move in our faith, move in a relationship. Sometimes he wants us to respond to people differently at work. God often will allow you to be overwhelmed because it is in those moments that you start looking for solutions to get out of this feeling. And he's encouraging you to move. For some of you, it may be across state, across the country, or across the world. I don't know all the circumstances around Abram's call to move, to establish a nation by picking up his whole operation, which was massive move. But I'm certain he was overwhelmed by it. Many times God gives you more than you can handle because he doesn't want you staying right where you are. He wants you to move. 
Paul gives us an example of other reasons that God gives us more than we can handle. 2 Corinthians verse 12, starting with verse 5, it says, On behalf of this man I will boast, but, I will, but on my own behalf I will not boast except of my weaknesses. What? Now, Paul's not only accepted his weaknesses, he's bragging about them. What? Verse 6, though if I should wish to boast, I love this, by the way. He's, Paul is so passive-aggressive. Though if I should wish to boast, I would not be a fool, for I would be speaking the truth, because I am pretty awesome. That's kind of how you read that, right? But I refrain from it, so that no one may think more of me than he sees in me or hears from me. Verse 7. Some of you, this is crucial. You've been angry with God for your limitations in life and you feel that it's his judgment or that maybe he just doesn't care about you. So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Okay, so some of you know the whole thorn in the flesh thing. Have you read the whole verse? A thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me. Now, who is he saying has given him these things? Did Satan give him these things? I mean, Paul, just let that soak in. Paul is saying, God gave a messenger of Satan to bug me all the time. God did that to Paul. And yet we somehow believe God doesn't want us to struggle. It also shines a huge light when we are wholly judgmental on the faults and failures of others. What if God gave the temptation to them? And we're judging them for what God did intentionally. And the reason that we struggle with that thought is because of what we read earlier. God won't give you a temptation you can't handle. But as we've seen, that is not a universal answer. It's a specific answer. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. And this is where some of you need to embrace this and think about this. And you need to live through this in these coming weeks. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Paul knew this. This is why Paul boasted in his weakness. This is why when we try with all of our might to say we are strong and capable. We don't need anything or anybody. We are not walking in the spirit. We are ignoring the Spirit. Three times I pleaded with the Lord. I mean, listen. Paul was one of the greatest persecutors of the church. Jesus showed up and after he had already died and gone to heaven and rose again and, gone and, and went to heaven. I, I mean, Jesus was there on the road to Damascus with him. I, he was invested in Paul. He cared about Paul. He loved Paul. Paul was changing the world. And he said, God, please take this from me three times. And imagine that was a lot more than three. 
And God said, no. God said, no. My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Why else does God give you more than you can handle? To teach you to depend on a strength other than your own. Guys, it's, a hard, it's harder for you. There's something in us that tells us we're not men if we don't appear strong. And yet the strength we're trying to emulate is not the strength of God. It's the strength of just mere mortal people. So many times, man, we embrace this idea of what strength looks like, and it is a lie. It is a lie. Because true, true strength comes from the one who has created us, not from our ability to look like we have no cares in the world. God wants us to depend on him. If you're not depending on him, God is going to bring something pretty huge to your plate. Not because he's mad at you, but because he wants to nudge you to depend on him. What we also see is that God wants us to experience his power, not our own. His power that makes a difference, not our own. Psalm 145, 18 says this, no matter where you are, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. His power is available. His presence is available. The purpose behind these overwhelming things is available. He wants us to depend on him. He wants us to know him. He wants us to grow in him. Truth is, God is more interested in your faithfulness than your comfort. We're seeing this more and more as culture's changing around us. We're becoming less comfortable. The church is shrinking. Yet those who follow Christ are not. We're seeing over and over where now that things aren't like they were 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years ago, things are harder and people say bad things about us. So it's more difficult. So it's just easier to check out and you know God is just a little too uncomfortable now. But God's never been primarily concerned with your comfort. He's never been primarily concerned with my comfort. He's more interested in our faithfulness. He's more interested in our redemption, forgiveness, to know him as he knows us. Truth is God is also more interested in you demonstrating his glory than trying to pretend like everything is okay. See, I can go around and tell you everything's okay. How's everything going? It's fine. How you doing today? Good. Everything going all right? Everything's, yeah, great. How about you? Everything good for you? Good, 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 good. We don't ever tell people how things are going because we, we, we fear letting people know that we're struggling, that we're weak. The way we respond to people demonstrates what we believe about weakness. And I, have you repented lately? I mean, that's pretty heavy stuff. I mean, I don't really want to talk about my stuff, but your stuff is pretty, that's pretty heavy. What if God is doing an amazing work in that person? 
But he has an amazing plan for that person. See, we would look at Paul and we would go, Paul is just not very spiritual. I mean, we've looked up what he does. Have you seen what he does? I mean, God, and he has prayed that God would help him not do that anymore and not be that anymore. But, you know, God is just, he's not answered that prayer. Paul, there's no way he's really truly repentant. I mean, we probably need to have a talk with him. And yet God positioned that so that Paul could reflect his glory. It's amazing when we get in tune with what God wants to do. It changes everything. Will God give you more than you can handle? Ha! You bet. Once you realize why, you'll be forever grateful. Because He's at work in your life. He's at work in what you're doing. There are things that I need to look at in my life and you need to look at in your life. Artificial stressors that aren't supposed to be there that we have piled on for one reason or the other. Families that are so miserable by by working two jobs so they can afford X, Y, or Z, and yet they're so unhappy. But the idea of not being able to do X, Y, or Z just keeps them on that path. There are some things that you and I have to address within our lives. There are things that I have to address within my life to say, this is not good. We need to create some margin. But you'll never create enough margin for God to leave you alone and let everything just be all sunshine all the time. It's just not going to happen. When you begin to see and experience the power of God in your life, when you see him rescuing you out of your weakness, you'll be okay with that. You'll even be thankful. You'll even be grateful. We are going to, in in the days ahead, we're going to experience, I don't know how much, a world that is going to continue to make things more stressful to be Christians. Some of you came this morning wanting a, to know what our take is on what happened with the Supreme Court on Friday. I won't disappoint you, but I probably will at the same time. Truth is, nothing changes for us. You know, the idea that the church is going to dissolve and go away because the Supreme Court doesn't follow what we believe in Scripture is all of a sudden God is powerless crazy the idea that somehow we need to stand up and tell people how horrible they are no that comes right back at us truth is we live in a world that's so incredibly thin-skinned right now they're very thin-skinned as a culture i'm offended by so many things and things should be stopped the confederate flag being pulled i'm not i'm not a fan of the confederate flag i don't own a confederate flag Although the pulling the general lead just, just makes me fighting mad, you know. If you didn't grow up when I grew up, that it won't matter to you, but that offends us, and so we gotta pull it from everywhere. We're so thin skinned and yet and we 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 call those out. We won't bake a cake for a same sex wedding, and so we're so angry. Can you believe those thin skinned people? And the Supreme Court says Law of the land. Christians show how thin-skinned we are. Those terrible people are going to hell. Let them burn. We're just like they are. We're just as sinful. They have just as many problems. However, how we handle things like this, this is not the biggest deal in the world. 
That was Jesus on the cross who rose from the dead and offered us salvation and redemption for all of eternity. That was the biggest thing in the world. Nothing changes that. But how we handle these things, how we handle these conversations on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, at work, in church, determines what kind of ministry we'll have to people when they're broken. And if we lump as much judgment as we can on people because they don't validate the things that they don't even believe, then we are going to miss the opportunity to be a light of hope in this world. It would be great if we were as focused on our own purity as we are the purity of others. It would be great if we were more focused on the purity of our marriages in the church than we are about the impurity of marriages outside the church. Because as we know from all statistics, marriage in the church is in trouble too. At the end of the day, he has called us to follow him. And he has issued for us an invitation to be forgiven of our sins and to go tell other people that they can be forgiven for their sins. That's the good news that we need to be known by. What's going to happen with all these things coming? I don't know. This is a, we're in a very interesting cultural shift in one of the last nations in the world that said that they were built on Christian values, though we have known for a long time that's not really the truth. Makes us feel better, but it's not really the truth. So we are in a cultural shift. Things are changing. Things are going to continue to change. But God has not changed. If we feel more weak today than we did on Thursday, by what we just looked at, that may be a good thing. Because his power is made perfect in weakness. So I have a very incredible outlook of life moving forward. I have a great outlook. I I believe the church is headed for its best days ever. Maybe not its biggest days ever. Maybe not the biggest buildings ever. But when did that ever help a person know Christ? I'm excited about what God's going to do in us as we continue to follow him. What God's going to show in us whenever we can love others. I would caution you with one other response. I see lots of responses right now. Obviously, there are those that are, are pretty pretty ugly. And then there are those that say, you just need to love people. Well, I just say, that is true. We've built that on our, we, we've built our culture here on the idea that we need to love people. And that is absolutely true. However, there are many Christians today that believe to love someone is to ignore very painful, destructive things in their lives. Oh, you're, you're bleeding and you're going to die. Um, high five. Not all Christians are that way that, that profess a faith in love. But there are many that that's the extent of their theology. See, our love is in loving people and understanding their brokenness and helping them find hope and healing. If we ever think we can do that without being very clear on what the gospel is, we are simply high-fiving a group of people who are perishing. 
So we show love in many ways. We do say what God says is truth because if it is true, it leads to wholeness. Scripture tells us that what Jesus has done for us, he has broken the chains of our bondage so we can be free. The gospel breaks those bounds. If we refuse to let people know of what it looks like to be broken free of true bondage, then we might as well just lock them in a cage ourselves. Now, how's, how do we do all this? Well, we're figuring that out as we go. But one thing I do know is, every time I'm tempted to point out somebody else's sin, the Holy Spirit is really good at pointing out a whole bunch of my sin. And I'm thankful for a Redeemer that's forgiven me for that. Let's lead other people to know the love of Christ as we've experienced it. Just in closing for this morning, no matter where you are in life, some of you are overwhelmed for various reasons. I can tell you I, I feel overwhelmed regularly. Some of you, are, you feel like a failure because of it. I want you to know God is going to do something through it if you'll trust him. His power is made perfect in your weakness. There are some of you that believe that God will only demonstrate he loves you when you just feel absolutely at ease with everything around you. And yet Jesus said, I have come for the captive, for the slave. I've come for the oppressed. I've come for those who have nothing. Jesus was not carefree, and he's not going to lead you to be carefree either. But yet when we walk with him, we get to experience something so much greater. We're going to sing one more song, and then we're going to dismiss. I hope you'll come back next week. Next week is a holiday weekend. We're going to be uh, talking about another uh, common phrase that God never said and, and often is more destructive in our growth and our faith. So we hope that you'll come back next week, and then you can grill out after. And uh, so we hope you'll come back. Well, let's pray. Father. God, we thank you that you are a God that no matter what happens culturally around us, we can trust you and that you've forgiven us for our sins no matter what else is happening. Father, I do thank you that you have given us your power at times when we feel incredibly weak. Thank you for the opportunity to know what is truth and to live in as Ms. Bursing has said, and what is beautiful. Father, help us to be beautiful to others. Help us to show them a better way. Help us to love fully. Love by fully accepting and love by fully sharing where true freedom lies. Father, give us wisdom as we move forward in the days ahead as a church, as, a, as an organization, as a community. Help us as we move forward as a nation. And Father, let our focus constantly be on you and what you're doing, what you want to do, not what others are doing, because that's irrelevant. All that matters is what you're doing. Thank you for being at work in us. Pray that you give wisdom in many of our lives when we have taken on so much that the stress that we're feeling is all on our heads. We have brought it on ourselves. Give us wisdom on those things that we need to begin to Move away. 
Help us to only embrace and commit to the things that you would have us commit to. Give us the strength can only come from you. And at times we have to say no. Give us the strength. And the times that we want to say no, you really want us to say yes. Father, I pray that in this room we would not be a people who are carefree, people that have no problems in life, that we would be a people that seek you in the times when the stress is greatest. Let us follow your lead. Let us become what you want us to become, whether that's for us to move, whether for that's for us to trust you, whether for that's for some of us just to learn to depend on you. Help us to be the people you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.